1: yet another week on the Business Elevation Show. And it's get, I'm really excited about today's interview. Um, I, I'm going to be talking with a lady, Layla Makaria, who I um, was really impressed with when I met uh, her in Kenya uh, back in September um, with um, some of my friends at uh, Leaders Quest. And um, we're going to talk today about building business in Africa with Layla. But before we get to Layla, I have to say a huge thank you to my guest last week, Nabil Doss. Uh, now, Nabil... Uh, if you didn't listen to the interview, is the French voice of Paramount Pictures. So he's the guy whose voice is on the movie trailers for big blockbusters like um, like Star Trek and that sort of thing. And he's also a a big speaker. He's um, from Quebec in Canada. And we talked about... Uh, We talked about movie trailers. We talked about what we can learn from those movie trailers um, to help us with the style and approach for creating things like great elevator pitches for our business and, and also some of the tips and tools from those. Uh, from those exciting trailers that are really compelling um, that we can utilize in our own sort of talks and speaking. Um, so I love that show, in Nabil. If you've not listened to it, I would really recommend that you go back and listen to uh, Nabeel Dos uh, around the uh, trailer code. So this week, we're going to move continents. We're moving to Kenya in Africa. And this is the first time I've had a guest on the show uh, live from Kenya. We've had guests from South Africa before. Um, but it was a really wonderful pl- pleasure to uh, to meet Layla, and I met her, as I said, last September uh, on a, um, a trip out there with uh, the organisation Leaders Quest. And I was really impressed with her, and I thought wouldn't it be great to have a conversation with Layla today about how you build your business interests in Africa, as well as contributing to the development of what is a beautiful and diverse continent. I you know, I was only there this time for sort of eight days, but I kind of feel each time I go to Africa that there's a little bit of me uh, stays behind, um, really does get into your system. Now, Leila Makaria um, left Kenya at the age of 18 and moved on her own to study in the US. And in 2003, she earned a doctorate in law from Stanford. Now, you know, very brave to me to go to a different country and go and, uh, go and do that. And um, with her work experience, uh, then she... You know, with work experience, she um, joined one of the top law firms in New York City. I know she also did uh, various entrepreneurial things as well. But she decided to leave her successful career behind to add value in her country of origin back in Kenya. She's since created and supported businesses right across the region, all the way from housing development to her current interest, which is a creative media and technology training college. She's spent a decade within the Kenya Private Sector Alliance, where she rose to vice chair. And that's been about helping reform policies in the land, financial, transport, and education sectors. I know she's involved as a non executive with um, Barclays in Africa. Um, Her most recent project has been setting up the Africa Digital Media Institute, which is a really vibrant media college in Nairobi, which she co co founded with film producer Wilfred Kayumi. Um, From my experience of her, she's very inspirational, she's wise, she's compassionate. Uh, really engaging qualities that I admire in leaders. So let's chat with Layla about building business in Africa while contributing to this beautiful and diverse continent. So a huge welcome to Layla.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be here.
1: All right, you're very, very very welcome. And Layla, I must um, just first say, have I said your surname correctly? Is so
2: The right, correct. The, the, it's Masharia.
1: Masharia okay well I do apologize for that I just thought I should have asked you beforehand before uh, attempting so Masharia so um, really nice um, name now last year we obviously met at ADMI and you know ADMI is just this wonderful media initiative for young people that you co-founded I'll never forget the words of uh, of um, one of your students Lucky who was just sharing about how the college had transformed his life Uh, really really inspiring and the one thing I did when I was there I remember looking through the window and there was this building with a a company message on it dreams made possible I just thought that's what you've done Uh, you've uh, you and your co-founder were making dreams possible uh, for young people there now we'll talk about ADMI later but you know to to get up to that point of uh, you being making dreams possible at ADMI I just really love to understand a little bit about your early background and what inspired you.
2: Oh, thank you, Chris. Uh, and thanks so much for the kind words. Um, it, it really means a lot to us to, to have you kind of appreciate what it is we're trying to do. Um, so I was born in Kenya um, and uh, grew up mostly in Kenya. And then in high school ended up, uh, my, my, my dad was a professor, my mother's an economist. And uh, later on when I was in high school, my father was posted in the UN in Somalia and Namibia. So I've lived a little bit in those countries, I have yeah. a bit of an African background. And uh, then when I was 18, I went on my own to the U.S., uh, ended up uh, doing a degree in public policy and then moving on to law school. And uh, after building a career in the law, including at Clifford Chance, a good British firm in their New York office, (laughs) um, came back to Kenya in 2003 uh, and continued investing here, having gotten bitten by the property investing bug in the U.S., started real estate development for about 10 years. and then recently got, uh, meaning about two, over, just a bit over two years ago, started angel investing. So finding entrepreneurs with a vision and an inspiring story and backing them to help make their dream a reality. And that's what I do now.
1: But you, it's it's lovely the way you share that story. And I, I read more about your background. And it's really very impressive. And I'm, I'm kind of interested, you know, you just sort of very naturally say well you know I just left on my own and went to New York (laughs) and then I you know I I, you built up a very successful career then I just decided you know I'd come back again those those sorts of decisions to many people are are huge decisions to make and you know what you've obviously had a a fascinating background with your family but where did the confidence to go leave Kenya and go to the US and study on your own where did that come from?
2: Um, I think this is something which actually surprisingly a, a lot of uh, african kids do well well those with the opportunity to but uh, the idea was of course to go for further studies get all the experience and exposure that i could and then i remember when i was leaving my father really trying to encourage me to go for a while and kind of bring back that talent and and those you know th- that knowledge back to kind of build the nation and build the continent um, I stayed much longer than he would have liked, but I did come back <laughs> eventually <laughs> to, to do exactly what we had we had agreed which is to to give back
1: and I'd I, I imagine you know there are a lot of there's a lot of poverty in Kenya certainly by western standards and i saw some of that myself firsthand um in places like Kibera, et cetera with you having that opportunity to uh, go and be educated in america you know did you You know, rather than it being something you'd fear, would you just be, you know, were you kind of full of gratitude that you had that opportunity? Um, You know, does that overcome any, you know, any fear of maybe changing routes at 18 and going to another continent?
2: I think uh, like any teenager, you know, getting out of home <laughs> is usually really, a, you know, you you almost itch to get out of home, which is ironic. I mean, you, of course, you feel very sad leaving home. And and there's always that feeling of uh, real gratitude and, and missing home. But I think I do recall a real exhilaration about being able to strike out on my own, define my own values. And it was actually, I ended up staying in the U.S. for 14 years, and it was a wonderful experience. I really grew, found my feet, found out who I am, and what I can do, and remain very grateful for that for that experience. So, although I was a bit nervous, I don't think it was, you know, it felt negative in any way.
1: Uh, and what was, do you think has been this driver? You, you clearly you're very uh, you, you worked a place like Clifford Chance, but you've also you know been quite I think probably you know quite entrepreneurial in and some of the things that you've done certainly you, you talked to me and talked to us about some of the housing developments and buildings you'd uh, you've been involved in in um, going back in Kenya um, you know what was the what was the real inspiration for you to uh, really get out there and make things happen and, and do things differently
2: um, it's a great question. I think I was um, so I was lucky, but also unfortunate to be the first kid uh, in a very loving but disciplined family. And expectations were very high, Yeah, not just for integrity and achievement, but also for service and for contribution. And I remember even as a kid really wanting to solve difficult problems to be useful. Uh, when I was five, I remember telling my mom I want to be a policeman <laughs> because I thought that these are people who bring order and, and make things work. And the other thing I remember as a child is really hating injustice. I really hated all kinds of injustices, big and small. You know, when somebody was excluded from the playground, I always felt that they needed to be included. So I really had this feeling of trying to heal and to bring hope and and, and all of that. Um, and, uh, and then like most humans on the planet, I also want to make my parents proud, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so a combination of all those things kind of inspired me to try and and do big things if I can, or at least as much as I can do within my ability.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've been you've been involved in you know quite an incredible array of senior roles, actually. Some of them involving really complex things, like you know reforming freight logistics in in um, well, not not just um, Kenya, actually, in the uh, larger. Area of Africa you've served as a non-executive director for Barclays in Africa you know what's driven you to overcome the many obstacles that you must have faced in a in a continent that's um is known for some really extremely difficult business conditions
2: Mm. no you're absolutely right it's been quite a challenge um but but many many years ago i realized that if you want to you know I, i had started my career in democratic development and human rights and uh, some decades ago, realized that if you want to raise millions of people out of poverty, um, and for good, you you usually need to focus on the private sector, creating economies, uh, growing economies, creating jobs, building businesses. That's what actually um, helps spread wealth, you know, and power. Um, so businesses allows you to do that, and so this has been a very big inspiration as the way to actually deal with. Uh, some of the challenges we face in business, because I think that the prize is really valuable. It's really meaningful. Um, and then some, the other thing that has come now, I used to be in real estate development, which is still a very impactful sector, but I've realized lately that if you can do business in health, in education, in financial technology, uh, you also sol- solve basic problems for people. And and that impact also inspires me and my partner, I know, to keep going. You know, when you see people like Lucky and and the impact that you're having on these kids' lives and... It really, really helps you kind of stop thinking about all the difficulty yeah. and instead think about the good that you're doing.
1: Yeah, it's quite interesting that, you know, we sometimes get rallies against things like, you know, capitalism and some people see, you know, business as being, you know, the, the root of, uh, of issues. But actually, you know, like, you know, like you believe, I believe that, you know, business can be a real huge force for good. Um, you know, what's the attitude over there to, you know, to business in Africa? You know, do you have, you know, you know which, which also does, you know, create some of the sort of haves and have-nots. Um, you know, what's the sort of feel about business over there?
2: Um, I think uh, because there's um, formal employment is quite limited, almost everybody has some kind of business, even if it's an informal small one. Yes. Uh, most people have what we call a side hustle, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, yeah, and so there, there, there really is, I, I would say, a, a sense that is or becoming a business person is almost inevitable. I mean, we can have a debate around what kind of business is that, and what's the difference between a micro enterprise and being self-employed and actually building a business that employs people. But I think, in general, really, in general, at the public level, it's quite positive. I think where the gap is is really trying to get policy to respond to and and support small businesses which have some special needs Um, and just working on the investment climate so that people aren't struggling so much to make ends meet when they have a business.
1: Mm, Yeah. Um, So so I also kind of – actually, we should just maybe just mention um, briefly, I remember you – one of the sort of differences that – you know, it really, it really sort of brought it home to me. You shared a story uh, when I met you about, you know, housing development. I think it was a development of apartments, a large one that you'd, you'd created. But whereas, um, you know, these sorts of big projects involving lots of capital, it can take a lot of time over in um, places like, you know, the UK and America to get through sort of planning regulations. You were actually having to create some of the processes with mm. the government to enable these things to happen. So it really is a quite a different environment out there isn't it, to say to say america uh, yes. you, you've got to, you take things to, i guess you know probably even slower at times
2: yes absolutely it's been i've i've done business both in africa different countries and also in the us and they both have their challenges of course but in the us it's very different the investment climate is much more supportive of businesses and it's not even things that are very specifically targeted at business i mean things like the judiciary or the cost of credit, the stability of, you know, having a fixed uh, interest rate for 10 years. Over here, our interest rate is variable. So sometimes you can get a letter that tells you from next month, your interest rate has doubled and, and you kind of have to to adjust that. At least that's how it was before. There's been a slight policy change now. So all of those things allow you to predict and plan your business as well as your life. And, and so that kind of uh, thing was very, very challenging for me in the beginning. And so what you learn is that in addition to kind of doing business development, going out and finding customers, you also have to make an investment in the policy environment, in market development. If you're in real estate, you have to think about real estate investment trusts, maybe pushing for title insurance to be created or a multiple rental listing service. You know, things that if you're in the West, you don't think about because it's all been done. Mm -hmm. So you have to be very, very innovative here around how you you do business.
1: And that's why you've been involved in, for example, the Kenya Private Sector Alliance. That's helped you to um, develop policy, has it, or influence policy.
2: Exactly, exactly. Whatever sector you're in, you, you can then uh, get involved in policy advocacy around issues that can help the investment climate get better. And then um, what ended up happening is that I had started in the land sector and that's how I ended up in Kepsa, but later on ended up working in very many, many different sectors to kind of help them, uh, just private sector development and the investment climate around the rules and regulations that they have to deal with.
1: Excellent. We've only got about three minutes to commercial break now, but I, I want to, and we can, we can continue the question afterwards if it, if it goes on a, a little bit um, longer. But I, one of the things that really sticks in my mind for my trip to Kenya was when I visited a Maasai school and the slogan for the school was don't sell girls for cows, give them an education. And it really made me think just how difficult doing business as a woman uh, in Africa uh, must be um, in certainly within some of the you know the tribes and you know, different attitudes towards gender. So, wondering, I wonder how challenging has it been as a female businesswoman in Africa? And um, what advice would you give to women entrepreneurs in visiting or working in Africa? Ooh,
2: that's a big question, Chris. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You've got two minutes, so we can carry on afterwards. <laughs> <Don't
2: worry. laughs> well. Well, I think the thing to start with saying is just that research shows that across the world, um, female leaders face problems uh, around uh, some challenges that men don't. Um, they face more bias. They often have to outperform for the same rewards or lower rewards. And while all parents, as you know lately, are struggling to balance work and family, women do have additional roles um, as caretakers that sometimes can be can add the pressure. Um, but still, um, it, it is true that in Africa, at least in, in, in the places that I've worked, there is some, still some retrogressive uh, attitudes towards, you know, the female in the workplace. And so you have to be very uh, thoughtful around how you navigate that if, if you want to continue leading um, without letting it demoralize you too much. Um, so, so it's true. It's been quite challenging. I think as far as advice, um, there's a few attitudes that have helped me navigate this Myself, because it's been quite a struggle, kind of getting your mind around it. Um, and so, one one of the things that I've thought about is that if you come across somebody who's, you know, sexist or racist, tribalist, whatever the ist is, <laughs> uh, to usually look at it as, as ignorance or fear. And and then once you understand it that way, you can take it much less personally, and you're more compassionate as, as you as you try to address it. Um. So that has helped me. There's there's other ways that I think about it that have helped me. You know, kind of navigate that, but that's one thing that really stands out at present. Uh,
1: yes. So, uh, mm. so actually, you, you feel a little bit of pity for them.
2: Yes. Yes. Well, or um, yeah, compassion is the right yeah, word. Compassion's
1: the word. Yeah, the, that's the word oh, yeah. That be a Better word. Yeah. But
2: yeah. compassion
1: for them. Yeah. Rather than feeling angry with them or frustrated. Yes. Yeah.
2: The f- flip side of that, of course, is that. um I think I accepted long ago that once you're in the C-suite as a woman, you do have to work much harder to prove yourself. And many times you'll see contempt in the eyes of somebody who knows much less than you. And you, and you get used to that, but that's just how it is. So really learning to, to be positive and to understand what you're capable of doing and not getting into self-pity or too much whining. Um, I try not to whine and most days I succeed, <laughs> but not always. <laughs>
1: But when I, I visited Kibera, which for people who don't know is uh, the biggest slum in Africa, uh, I was asked by a um, lovely fellow, a uh, Jean, early from uh, from Leaders Quest, as to what my takeout was. I said to never complain again. Yeah, uh, I've, I've thought about that um, a lot, and uh, uh, I've I've been better. But <laughs> I occasionally slip up, but it's it's a good reminder. Yeah, yeah. it's a good reminder. Um, so so. So, do you find that you are therefore so I'm just, now I've now got about a minute left but are you in terms of navigating this does it bring out um the masculine type of behavior in you to match it or are you able to you know maintain the qualities that you know a good female business leader has because you you know you bring other you know females bring you know great from compassion and ability to to connect with people better
2: a great question, Chris. I think I tend to come at it a little bit differently. I tend to think that men and women both have uh, are, are much more alike than they are different, especially yeah. when we're allowed to be ourselves. And, uh, and this is the same with blacks and whites. You know, whatever the differences are, you know, humans, I, I try to see the person first and whoever they are and then connect at that level. And that has really helped me because sometimes I have to be very forceful when you're a business leader. But you're also leading a team, and you do have to try and and bring out that softer side, and, and kind of balance those every day. And I, I think studies show that the best leaders are able to tap into all of those sides of their personality, and be much more versatile in in dealing with this, each institution because each situation because things call for different for different strengths, um, and I think that has helped me a lot. And and also um, just not stereotyping and being open to people. Um, they're, they're, that they want to help you and to focus on what you have.
1: Great, great answer, Leila We're going to go to commercial break now, and after the break, we're going to look at you know really some of the challenges and uh, that you might face in uh, in Africa and developing your business in Africa and how to overcome some of those uh, sort of issues. Um, so do join us after the break, and um, we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes.
0: one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi,
1: this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Layla. We're talking about building business in Africa. And before the break, we found out a bit about Layla and her background and you know what, what life's like doing business in Africa in kenya and uh, we, we talked a little bit about uh, about gender so you sort of you started to talk uh, about one or two of these areas but let's just really get into now leila besides potential g- gender challenges what else do you really need to know about doing business in africa that is different to say the us or uk what are, what are the key things
2: mm. so I, I you know i can share very uh, frankly from my own experience so i i don't know how generalizable it is but one of the things that was uh, challenging for me in the beginning... Well, for a start, um, do recognize that, that business is business, right? So the basic principles of business remain the same. Uh, you've got to choose an industry that you know. You've got to stick with simple business models. Um, uh, the market should be big and growing. And, and in, in in Africa, in many, many African markets, this is really one of our strengths, right? We have this young population, urbanizing... Uh, economic growth is, is robust in, in many countries. And so you, you've got to really look for a business that is addressing a large market that's growing. And then what I'm learning recently, to so the extent that you can choose a business that has a short cash cycle, that it, that is working capital negative, right? Um, so that you're not always having to borrow to finance before you get paid. Yes. And then here, I think the other thing that's really coming in is kind of trying to avoid sectors that have got too much government interface or regulation. Uh, yeah. which, which brings a risk with it, yeah. Yeah. And then finally, is always just uh, looking for partners who are uh, dependable and thoughtful. Um, so I, I think many t- in, in some recent transactions that have been in the media, I've noticed that people are saying, you know, th- these would be international people coming in, and then when you look at the transaction, they actually missed one of those fundamental fundamental things. So it's not so much Africa; it's about the way that they approached business. Um, uh, but having said that. I think uh, one of the challenges here is what, what we talked about before, that there's a lot of market infrastructure that is still missing. And it's an opportunity and also a gap because then you as the business person have to do much more than you would have to do than if, if you were in the US about building the infrastructure around it, um, around your business, you know, advocating for policies that support the business and so on.
1: Yeah, yeah and do, do people really, you know, are... are... Are Kenyans really open to, you know, people who are non-Kenyan coming in and trying to influence that? Or or do you need to really be part of the the inner circles and workings to be able to do that effectively?
2: No, no, no. I think Kenya particularly actually has a great reputation for being very open to to people from outside. Uh, It's a very, especially if you think of the Nairobi metropolis, it's very diverse. We host one of the UN offices here. And so we have a large expat community, and we're also the Silicon Savannah, which is known worldwide for being a home of innovation. So we have a lot of people who come here to create companies with Kenyan co-founders and uh, a growing, you know, kind of angel and private equity VC community as well, supporting those businesses. So as far as coming to set up here, that's usually something that's encouraged, um, you know, provided you're adding value, you won't feel uh, discrimination or, or people kind of pushing back. Um, so so that's fine. And then joining the, the policy advocacy, there's all kinds of associations, uh, which are Kenyan associations such as Kepsa, but also others that are specifically for different countries, like the UK community has a business association, the Americans have a business association, so do the Germans. So you're also able to plug into the Kenyan associations through through your own country association on the business side. So there's lots of opportunities to make a difference Um and also influence the policy environment.
1: Uh, makes sense. Now, you, one of the things you you made some great you know great points there about, you know, generally about business that make a, a huge amount of sense. And um, the one that um, you know, we really need to think about was um, the the point you made about avoiding sectors with too much government um, kind mm-hmm. of interference. So, you know, what what sort of sectors might we want to av- avoid?
2: Um, so I think for me, what's um striking lately is just to the extent that you have, you know you know, a lot of these things come together. So, if you have a sector where you're borrowing a whole lot of money in order to create your stock and then you have to wait for a long time to be paid, if you're in an interest rate regime that's a bit unstable, uh, not unstable, but that's that's high, uh, that can be that can uh, expose you to quite some risk. And then if you have to um, to always be, submitting kind of regulatory reports and it's a heavy regulatory burden, it means that by the time you've gotten paid, you've gone through a lot of different risk areas. Whereas if you're working in something that's, say, a telecom industry or education or some, or, or somewhere where it's fast-moving consumer goods, where somebody pays you before they use the product, um, that that's a much more vibrant business. That's what I'm talking about, the short cash cycle. But but that goes back to just the kind of business, right? Those are just general business yeah. choices, whether they're in they're in Kenya or elsewhere. And so that that's the way I would look at businesses. Because now I'm an investor, and I when I'm making a a choice between businesses, whether to back somebody, that's actually the kinds of things I would look at. How simple is this business? How quickly does money move in and in and out? And are you getting paid before you actually have to make a huge outlay yourself?
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Um... Makes loads of yeah, that,
2: that, that was very interesting uh, that, that struck me when I came here is that business compared to New York is much more personal, especially in the informal sector where smaller businesses operate. Um, because the judiciary, although it's changing fast, um, it still takes quite a while for a court case to go through. So most people don't want to rely too much on contracts. Uh, so they adopt other strategies to manage risk, which, which is quite a rational thing to do, mostly doing business with people they know and spending a lot of time kind of trying to understand who are you, where are you from, do we know your parents, yeah. <laughs> you know, just to be sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very different from New York. Yeah, the, the U.S. is much more uh, focused and reliant on the
1: on the legal system. Yeah, it's got a little bit more, bit more brash. Um. Yeah. <laughs> So you sort of started to touch on that. I mean, how I think what often often happens when people think about doing business somewhere like Africa is, you know, there's obviously you know concern about things like corruption as well as the bureaucracy. Uh, how should you know foreign companies and individuals approach that, and, and how how significant is it? Is it is it really real? Does it um, does it really you know happen to a significant extent? We need to cover ourselves more than say somewhere in New York.
2: That that question has a lot of nuance in it because, for for sure, um, yeah, I would say I don't know about New York specifically <laughs> or City Hall in New York. <laughs> but um, I, I think that uh, in in general, we we're still building systems, right, and and procedures, and there's a lot of uh, capacity that we still have to build in, in the in the bureaucracy in the civil service. So this means that there's opportunities. Uh, and incentives for petty corruption, which we're we're really trying to deal with. And one of the things that is definitely uh, I've noticed since I've come back is this incredibly fast change in how those loopholes are being sealed. One of the things that's a real asset in Kenya is that people are going digital very quickly. So you'll find that when you go to the city council and you're getting your single business permit or the national health insurance fund, all of these things are now being done online. And every year, there's a dramatic difference from the year before. So, so that is very good. And the governments are the successive regimes have been very focused on making sure that this happens. And so, the ease of doing business is improving quickly, although never quickly enough for the business community, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. So,
2: yeah. So, so, so yes, the landscape is complex. I still navigate uh, some dile- dilemmas every day. Um, but I think that the way to think of this if you're coming into the market is to first come in with humility. Um, Even I, as a local person, still believe that it's better not to start things from scratch. Find somebody who has a track record in the business you're trying to do. uh, Partner with them, and that way you have mileage and you can move faster, you know, when they have proof of concept. Instead of trying to to start everything from scratch. And I know that in this investment in ADMI, I've really benefited from partnering with an extraordinary entrepreneur who was already uh, gathering momentum on his own. And we've made a wonderful partnership out of that. So the first is humility and and really partnering and trying to build on something that's already going and giving it momentum. Mm -hmm. And then the other one, as I said, is that if you really want to negotiate corruption and and bureaucracy is this thing of trying to stick with smaller, with simpler businesses where compliance is much more straightforward. And then even if you have sector expertise, like let's say you're in real estate or in education or in a sector, choosing one, one part of the supply chain that is much more straightforward, that has less moving parts so that you're not reinventing the wheel and, and, and exposing yourself. Um, so invest in a going concern where you can scale it, but try and make it something that's very easy to understand.
1: Yeah, I see. So, uh, so avoid things like banking.
2: Chris, that is unfair. (laughs) Banking is very straightforward.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's straightforward, but things like compliance uh, is, you know, it's it's quite can be quite. quite, That's what I really meant. It's quite quite complex, isn't
2: it? Yes, yes, it is. It is. is. But what what you find though in a case like that is that it's actually not. um, You see, with with banking because it's an international standard, it's actually very clear. The processes are clear and there's, a, you know, the central banks across the world have these standards that they've all agreed on. So that actually is, if if you can, um, if you have the capacity to to follow that law, it's actually very straightforward and even for everybody. So that's not actually one of the sectors that I would say is very risky in that sense. As long as you have your capital requirements and you have the right, you know, the right team that knows how to remain compliant.
1: Mm. Yes, that makes, uh, makes a huge amount of sense. So we've got um I think about five minutes now, and I you know, obviously you do you're doing you mentioned there about your your partner uh, Wilfred uh, who is a film producer, and you have you've really created this organization ADMI uh, to you know I think you know, to me it seems a very sort of charitable kind of venture. Do you want to tell us a bit about that and you know and the kind of contribution that it's making? Yes,
2: yeah, so we love to talk about ADMI. It's it, it's it's a project that really inspires us both and and our community. So, what it is is a it's a it's a dynamic, innovative social enterprise, and we designed it because Wilfred realized that uh, a, a lot of kids were coming out of the schools and going into the media industry without a lot of practical training. So, ADMI, the Africa Digital Media Community, is designed so that these these budding digital professionals or creative entrepreneurs have a place where they can get first training and then mentoring, and then a platform where they can actually create high-class, kind of world-class content that can be sold anywhere in the world. And uh, and, beca- and we created this because, on one hand, we really wanted to create employment for youth. Another thing which is much more lofty is that we wanted to give dignity back to creatives you know sometimes when you tell your parents you want to become a musician <laughs> or you want <laughs> to paint you know okay. they, they really you can see the light go out of their eyes <laughs> and they think their whole investment has gone to waste and yes what the right. digital economy has done now is given opportunity for for people who are artists and creatives to actually make a living like your guest last week for example mm. um so 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 what this institution does is we offer training in film and tv and animation music production sound engineering all those wonderful things game design photography and digital marketing and and then these kids are able to create content that they can share all over the world
1: and um, when when i visited you you know, the thing i you know there was some really you know fascinating stories from the students that you you know i don't know whether they were rep- how representative they were of the Students at ADMI, but it seemed like you were really, really giving these uh, uh, these teenagers a real kind of leg up uh, mm-hmm. and giving them a real purpose to their lives, which um, you know, which maybe they you know, they hadn't had had before. So it, it it felt like it was much more than just uh, a college to study media.
2: That's absolutely right we we are about making people not just find themselves in their creative voice but be able to support themselves and their families to have dignity and and to really turn we we actually our slogan is turning passion into a profession um so that's precisely it and we say it's a value driven education so even though we want you to become great in technical skills we also want to make sure that we, in, we infuse character that you know, we teach you to tell the truth, show up on time, say do what you say you'll do, also have compassion. We teach chivalry, <laughs> <laughs> all kinds of aspects about what it takes to to give a person a sense of of self and, and that once they go into the world, they can go out confidently. And that if there's a pool of people being interviewed, that as soon as a person from ADMI walks in, they stand out from the beginning.
1: Um, so so tell me a little bit there, you said you you create chivalry. So that's that's actually quite interesting. I'm, I'm around I spend my a lot of my life around the the area. Most of my life around the area of sort of self development and people development. But I've never heard anybody talk about chivalry. Yeah. Um, so what, what what's chivalry to you?
2: Well, what we try to do there's a, there's actually a stream called the Career Launchpad at ADMI, which is designed to really get at these soft. Because employers are telling us that this is a real gap for them. They say they need uh, the, the, the graduates to be much more global, to be much more digital, but also to be accountable and to be leaders in the way that they come into the workplace. So for us, when we talk about that, we're really talking about somebody who sees themselves as a servant and uh, doesn't always come into a situation looking as looking to take and seeing what's in this for me. So chivalry in, in this particular case is the idea of self-restraint. And actually coming into a situation and looking, how can I serve? How can I hold the door open? What might this other person in my space be needing right now? And that really changes the the viewpoint of a person. And when they go into the workplace, employers pick up on that right away because it signals work ethic and other things um, that, that make you want to hire somebody and want to be around somebody.
1: I love we're we're going to go to commercial break now, but I love the way you articulated that, and it's very clear. A lot of thought has gone into that, and, and yes, into, absolutely. So, you know, it's not just a, it's not just a value that sits on a sits on a wall. You have really sort of taken the time to define that and are following through and helping people to develop those skills to make them, you know, much more appreciated by employees, and and, and probably teaching them some of the, the skills that not all of them have had the opportunity to be taught by parents
2: yeah that's right
1: that's right Um, right. exactly wonderful well uh, we're going to be back again in just a another sort of couple of minutes I would really recommend that you stay around for this next segment we're going to talk about um, you know how we can you know help people in Africa um, and and help that sort of continent um, for anybody who wants to sort of help how we can help ADMI but um, do do, uh, hang around Uh, when I was in Kenya I think um, Leila was asked about You know, some of her principles around success and being a great leader. And uh, some of it was really, really uh, thought provoking and fascinating. So do join us again to hear that in just a couple of minutes.
0: From the boardroom to you, Voice America
2: Business Network.
0: facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you.
2: What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business.
0: tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk now back to chris cooper
1: hi it's chris cooper i'm with uh, Layla Macharia. we're talking about building business in africa and and um, we've been talking about admi and this um amazing sort of college and really place of of great kind of self-development uh, that uh, Leila and her co-founder have created in in Kenya and I, I'm sort of wondering I think we'll let, we'll ask this question first it sort of flows um flows best I think uh, Leila you know how can people you know how would you want people to help something like ADMI because it's not it's not just a commercial venture isn't it it's, it relies on some charitable kinds of support and people contributing
2: yeah 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 that's a great question um i think uh, one of the things i'd just like to say first is that recently there's there's a bit of an undercurrent where people are kind of criticizing people who want to help africa or want to help other people and i believe that everyone is entitled to help any cause or person that moves their heart right so i, I just um i especially i'm i am who i am because of so many people that helped me here and elsewhere and so I really, really encourage people to kind of follow their hearts and, and, and try and make a difference. Um, for ADMI, there's so many different ways to, to contribute. Um, if you have time or talent or money, you can make a difference, and, and you don't even have to leave your, your own country if you want to. For example, we have a fellowship program where you can come and work for a short while or, or do a specific project. It can be three months or six months. If you're a teacher, you can come and teach for a while. We have an international faculty, and we'd love to host you. Um, you can do a financial model for us or help with a digital marketing campaign or do something in accounts, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or data science. And then you can also have a fundraising drive in your community for ADMI. And then the great thing with the me- it being a media college is that if you have a production studio or a music studio, you can always send equipment, you know, cameras and, and um, consoles, Any- anything you have can be useful for, for the kids. So there's so many different ways to, to plug in if, if you want.
1: And other ways, like, with with doing, the kids are doing media-type studies and they're they're creating video and that sort of thing. I mean, can people uh, people, uh, set them, you know, uh, come to you with potential projects that they might be able to fulfill and uh, to bring in some revenue for the college?
2: Absolutely. And uh, there's two ways to do that. So one is to actually... Uh, you know, there's the donations for the students that that would be coming to the college, um, either to help them pay for their fees, those students who are low income and can't afford, or to help with projects around the campus. But the other thing is really to hire these students for their work, because by the time they leave us, they actually do create very high quality content. So hiring them, they they can work anywhere in the world, and it can be remote. So uh, if you need a musician or a filmmaker or an animator or a graphic designer we, we have all of that, as well as digital marketers, photographers as well.
1: Uh, that's um, really, uh, trend. and just, we probably ought to just uh, say you know, the scale of ADMI, you've got, what, what's the scale, and how, how you, do you intend to grow it, what's the vision for it?
2: Uh, yeah, we have a big vision, um, at present we have 300 students, uh, by the end of this year we're going to have uh, 600, wow. um, so it's going quite fast, uh, we're also going to be doing some work this this year in both Ghana and Nigeria. So starting to build community there around artists and creatives. Um, so we have a big vision that we're going to be, you know, thousands of students. Our larger vision, when we talk about empowering this sector, is seeing hundreds of thousands of digital con- content creators actually selling their work for profit, for themselves, to support themselves, but also for impact. So the African story is being told around the world. And we're very, in Africa, we're great consumers of content from every everywhere but we don't think that we're telling enough people are buying our content and seeing the African story on screen or on radio and we're really out to change that.
1: Oh, good well it's, um, it's great to be able to share you know some of that story today um with you and I'm also just sort of moving away from sort of ADMI and generally I mean we, we you know people often do have a you know giving mindset and they you know we get pleasure from helping and I just wondered generally how could people outside of Africa help with the development and growth of of Africa and maybe what's the mindset to do that one of the things I kind of learned is that often you know people go into places like the um, Kibera and they've got we need to to change this and clean that up and do this and they come in with their own perceived ideas Mm. and actually you know they need to work with the local people on the ground to really understand the issues and 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 see the real perspective and see what will actually work. Mm. Um, just wonder what your views were, really.
2: Yeah, and um, there's a lot you can do. I think you're you're absolutely right that the first thing you, you know you're talking about humility, really, and just coming and and learning from people who are already in that place and trying to come up with solutions of their own. I would never underestimate the value of an outside viewpoint, though, because many of us across the world get into tunnel vision, and it, it really helps to have an outsider give you a fresh perspective. So, even as you listen and you're humble and you're coming in, it doesn't mean that, you know, that you don't offer your own voice or your own view of what's happening. It could be what unlocks something for somebody. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, and this is my bias, of course is that I really believe that business makes a very big difference. So coming in to do business uh, means that you create jobs that are sustainable and that can support people for a very long period of time. Um, and building businesses that are scalable and sustainable is, is the way that I would do it. Um, but the reason for this is because I, you know, that, that's my area of, of strength. Um, creative arts and business is my area. But if yours is something else, else then if you if you come in and look for people who can do that with you or join people who are doing that thing with you it allows you to advance your own dreams and also start powering the dreams of other people so that's how i would think about it
1: Mm, brilliant now i did i've kind of set you up uh, earlier to sort of share some of your principles around being a successful and a great leader and uh, not just in africa but anywhere and um I wonder if you could maybe you know share some of those um, you know some of your insights from your experience and work in in America and in Africa. You know what, in your um, perception, is a successful, you know, engaging leader? What what are, what are the key qualities and uh, and the key behaviours?
2: I mean, the, the the first thing that that I have um, come to see over time, you know, sometimes you know there'll be a media story written about me. And and you know humans, we love stories of success. It's very, especially very quick success. And uh, one article on me made it seem like in one fails, one fails suit. I was <laughs> up to all these boards. I raised a bunch of money for investors. I have this beautiful family, and I, th- I think what what these the, the stories don't tell is the. Pr- process, you know, the difficulties, the delays, the frustrations, the missteps, of which I have had very, very many, although maybe that might be a whole other show. I don't know. (laughs) Um, So, you know, and then the other part that I, I think doesn't come out enough is how many people have helped. So many people have invested in me. So many people have sacrificed for me or given me a chance when they didn't have to. And I think As a leader, it's really, really important to remember those two things, because you can get kind of swept up in this image that people have that you're supposed to pull yourself together and just do it, you know, and kind of make it all work by gritting your teeth. And the reality is that all of these things are done in different times. There's always trade-offs. And I think as the years pass, I've come to really realize that you usually have to give up something to get something. You can't be in all these different places at once. And once you, you give yourself some forgiveness around that, you can get a lot more done um, with just some compassion for yourself. Um, so, so that really helps. And then the other one that, that has really, I've really come to see is you as the leader are the main asset, especially when you have a business and you're the main visionary. Um, it's not to, to, you know, grind yourself to the wire, really exhaust yourself. You've really got to invest in yourself. You've really got to sharpen the saw. And it's especially difficult when you're trying to grow a business in the early stages. Um, yeah, so, th- so those things have really stuck out for me. And, and then another area is really around, you know, linked to that is not having one right path or one set of choices, just um, trying to learn to practice gratitude every day. Um, I think when you're younger, you really think this is how my path is going to go. And if I come off, it means I'm failing. <laughs> Whereas this is the perfect life. This one that I'm having right now with all its blemishes is really it and And this is perfection, And what I need to do is look at what it is I have, not what everybody else has or what everybody else is thinking,
1: yeah, because you, you you knew absolutely right there. There'd be people who would be um, you know looking reading the article and and looking at how successful you've been, and you know think thinking, assuming that you've done it quickly. But the reality is that uh, it all takes time, doesn't it? It's you know building one step at a time enjoying that journey right now as 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 much as you can because that is a life that you have but you know being careful not to compare yourself with with others who may be in a, you know a different stage of that journey
2: yeah yeah exactly and always just assuming that there's much more to the story that you're not seeing right so if, if somebody has a doctorate uh, instead of seeing the graduation day can you see the late nights the different drafts you know maybe uh, you know, taking one semester in and having to take a semester out because you couldn't raise the fees. Usually when people see the success, they don't see all of that that, that process behind it. And that's in everything. Even in a successful business, the number of times you have to loop back around because you miscalculated something or the frustrations that come with that um, are seldom part of the story. And we don't celebrate failure, but I think we really ought to start telling those stories much more about the journey.
1: Yeah, um, and those are actually, in terms of being engaging, those those trials and tribulations, and being you know open and honest and sharing those, they make you seem more human, don't they?
2: Exactly, exactly, and they're much more useful and encouraging to people because then you're more relatable,
1: mm.
2: and uh, people can feel that you're you're at a place where they are, and they can learn much more from you that way.
1: Yeah. So you've, you've now um, you know have a two year and a half year old son. How 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 are you managing with your you know incredible portfolio of of the different things that you're doing um now that you're a mom
2: yeah oh it's really added a lot of value it's such a joy (laughs) uh, I mean first it brings a lot of meaning to everything I've always been very very dedicated to the future of the world and and kind of investing in society and all of that but this really gives a new dimension to it and the other thing that it does is that um you know, when, you, when you're really driven as an entrepreneur or as a person getting your education, I think sometimes it, it helps to have another, you know, leg to the stool that kind of softens out the ways in which you you approach uh, relationships in the world. So it's it's really been a wonderful thing. Um, there's a lot to balance. Um, being an entrepreneur, I have a, a little bit more control over my time. Um, but it's really a very important uh, a segment of everything and adds a whole lot of inspiration and motivation to me it's it's really been wonderful
1: wonderful well it, it's been a, been an absolute pleasure talking with you and um, but before we leave you um, a question i always like to ask is whether you've got any final messages that you'd like to share with us
2: yeah i think um and, and this is just generally as a human i think uh, all of us have problems um but also to remember that we all have privilege and i think lately the headlines can seem depressing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes even terrifying and but but I try to think that uh, hope is not you know national or global it's, it's a very personal thing and uh, really coming back to this idea of even if it looks like the headlines are very scary, what is it that I could be doing myself to bring hope to somebody to encourage or to bring support and uh, and that can be very it, it can help us all kind of rally and keep going and, and look for opportunities to kind of promote our values. Use of you know whatever it is, about togetherness or or inclusion, whatever it is that we feel is important to us. And then the other thing is just remembering that about privilege and instead of uh, moving to the place where you have power and thinking about ideas that empower and motivate you rather than discourage you uh, in your own unique voice in the way that it's needed in the world. So lately, the events of the world are really having me thinking about that and how we just need to buckle down and and, and do that. Um, show up for each other
1: yeah yeah and and, it, and it's easy isn't it when with those headlines news is designed to attract us to want to watch it and listen in every moment but the you talk there about almost about finding the truth of the situation you know you've mentioned mm-hmm. about the late nights and what really sits be, behind it and then on a an overall perspective of life it may seem challenging but there's also also an awful lot of good going on right now that doesn't get recorded and uh uh, and I hope that people today have uh, you know, experienced some of that talking to Leila. Um, so my printer's just gone mad, I don't know what that's about. Um, today, um, because there's, Layla, there's been some really wonderful thoughts and ideas that you've shared with us uh, around doing business in Africa, but also about um, you know, some thinking around ADMI, but also around you know, some of the principles that you have learned through your career and life. So I just want to say a huge thank you. Thank you so much for being on today.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Been has been wonderful. And, and for more information on on, on Layla, um go to uh, laylamacharia.com That's L-A-I-L-A-M-A-C-H-A-R-I-A. And also do visit the ADMI website. Find out more about ADMI, www.admi.ac.ke. And there's a number of areas there that you could get involved if you wanted to. And, and do people um, check it out and contact um, ADMI if they want to help?